Good morning, Greenville Oaks. It's good to be here in this room. I, I, earlier in the service, I was in uh, Discovering Greenville Oaks, teaching that class. And uh, in, in case you're new to us and you want to find out more, we'll have another class coming up in a few, several weeks. That we'd love for you to, to come to to find out more about our church family. But it's just great to be with a new group of people that are finding life here, that want to know more. Um, and uh, Matt's continuing to keep, teach this class as we go, so you can be praying for that. But I'm excited to be here and to share the message. i got to tell you, I, I, I love this church. And part of the reason I love this church is because you all let me be real last week and be who I was. And you received me in that and you gave us grace in response to that. And I, w- I just want to say thank you. Because not every church would be able to receive, uh, I, not, and not every church would I be able to receive that gift. And so I want to say thank you. Uh, if you're new to us, or uh, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, you've been out of town, we're in the middle of a series called Baggage Claim, which is the reason for all these suitcases and the luggage on stage. And, and, and what we're talking about is the fact that we all have baggage. We all have things from our past that affects our present. And that God wants to take that baggage and he wants to redeem it. And we as a church want to learn more and more to be a place that can claim that baggage with you. But the first step we had to take was as individuals... To claim our own baggage, because you can't be healed of what you don't acknowledge. And so the first week we talked about if you confess your sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. First John 1, 9. And so we had hundreds of confessions made that week of people just writing down, this is what's going on in my life. I confess that to God. I, I want forgiveness, and God promises that forgiveness to us. But last week I shared my story. What I shared with you was out of James 5, 16, a passage that says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. That healing doesn't just happen through this vertical confession to God. It happens when we share and are open and honest about our, our, our sins and our struggles with people who are around us. And, and today, I want to move from uh, the individual conversation, who are we and how do we receive healing, to how do we become a church that more and more and more receives people who need healing? How do we set up this place so that when people walk in these doors, they know from the moment they walk in that this is a safe place to work through whatever they're dealing with? And we want to be that place here at Green Oaks. And so uh, right now I want to share with you a testimony video from one of our members, Gary Ellis, who along with me sharing his story of what God's done in his life. And there will be more testimony stories because we want you to get a sense that God's doing things, not just through staff here. He's doing things all through this church that are amazing. So watch right now uh, Gary's story and what God's doing in his life. Hi, my name is Gary. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus, celebrating recovery over anger. And I'm still working on food, lust, and control. I grew up in a family that put the word fun in the term dysfunction. We did not attend church, and I grew up quickly learning that the world's ways that hurt people hurt people. There was a TV series popular during the 70s, All in the Family. Well, my dad was Archie. My mom was Edith the Dingbat, my brother was Mike Stivick, and one of my sisters was Gloria. Remember, Archie was really a bigot. He did not like anyone, always angry about something. Well, that was my model of behavior. I can remember as far back as age five of having anger issues. For about 47 years, I lived in a self-imposed mind prison of anger and resentment to my upbringing. I could never resolve the hurts, hang-ups, and habits that just never seemed to go away. When I was 16, my sister and I went on a trip to Texas together. I remember getting angry with her several times. You see, at the time, I didn't realize that she was on heavy medication for depression. 
Later that year, she would commit suicide. I always wondered, did I cause that? Maybe you've lost control of your anger and done something like that too. Well, that suicide sent me on a 10-year binge of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, trying to medicate guilt and shame about the event. My life was always consumed by pleasure-seeking and numbing the pain of life issues with drugs. I always tried to have a girlfriend available for sex, and if that didn't work, I turned to porn to satisfy my desires. Even after I accepted Christ, I continued to wrestle with God, unable to shake those hurts, hang-ups, and habits that have been part of my life story. You see, at the time, I really didn't want to get better. Being angry was my way of keeping people away. I had trust issues and kept people at a distance was my way to not get hurt anymore. I had a Jekyll and Hyde personality and routinely it came out with interaction with my wife and my kids. Oh, I went to church three times a week. I raised my kids to stay away from all the things I was involved in. I even read the Bible cover to cover three times, just like I was a good Pharisee. Everything on the outside looked fine. How are you? Fine, great, super. You know the mask we wear. I knew all the rules and kept the major ones, never stepping over the line. But life just wasn't working. Fonda and I kept drifting farther and farther apart. One day in the summer of 2012, we both decided it was time to get a divorce and go our separate ways. She said something that startled me, though. She said, I'm depressed, and I do not want to go on any longer. She said, I'm going to end up like your sister. Well, that was a wake-up call. On Father's Day that year, I, did, I drank about a fifth of tequila and ended up getting sicker than a dog. Waking up that next morning on Father's Day with a clear thought in my mind, God sent me a message. Why are you doing this to yourself and your family? I committed to myself to stop drinking and work on my issues. At about that same time, Keith mentioned that Geo was going to be starting a program called Celebrate Recovery. Intrigued, I looked into it. I ended up going out on a business trip to California, and I went to Saddleback one Sunday to kind of check it out. When I got back, Keith suggested, hey, why don't you go check out Celebrate Recovery? They've got meetings around here, you know, out at the class, so to speak. Never knowing that once I was there, I would find out that I'm not alone with my hurts, my habits, and my hangups. Others have the same issues. The deceiver wants to isolate me and make me think that I am the only one with my problems. Not until I attended Celebrate Recovery did I learn that God never wastes a hurt. He will give back all the years that the locusts have taken away, Joel 2.25. Principle 1 says, realize that I am not God, and I admit it I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that my life is unmanageable. Celebrate Recovery is the only Christian organization that I know of that it's okay to be screwed up. In fact, the only requirement is to be broken and vulnerable. Does Celebrate Recovery really work? Yeah, I'm pretty skeptical myself. So here's a final story. So it's now Christmas of 2014, and I'm coming home from my sister's house, and we stop at Burger King to get some meals. I get home, I park the car, and I reach down for my 32-ounce drink. However, the lid's not attached, and the pop spills all over the car, and I just start to laugh. God has turned my anger to joy. My son looks at me and says, Who are you, man? What he meant was the old Gary would have lost his mind with rage and started cussing. But I'm not the old man any longer. I'm becoming God's man now. Are you ready to reclaim your destiny God has in store for your life? If so, then step through the door. God's ready to take you on an incredible journey. Join us as you celebrate recovery. Praise God. Let's pray together as we go into the sermon. God, I, I, I thank you for stories of redemption that you've been doing here for a long time now. This has been a place over the years where people have found grace, have found healing, 
families have been restored, and yet, God, there are so many of us that are still walking through so many issues, so much baggage in our life, God, and, and, and we've confessed that, but God, we want to become a church where people know they can bring in. They know they can say, this is what I'm struggling with, and there's five people we're ready to take them to because we know they've worked through that, and now we know their story. So God, I thank you for Gary and Fonda. I thank you for so many others that are, are going to be leading this ministry of Celebrate Recovery. I thank you for the way this has impacted my life, this ministry. I pray for the days to come and the people that will come to us, God, that you will get the glory for all that happens because it's because of you that we are saved. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, I want to share with you a belief that I believe to the bottom of my heart this morning. And it is this. The church, at its best, is a hospital for sinners, not a country club for the well-to-do. Now, I guess I could ask you, do you agree or disagree with that? But maybe the deeper question is, how do you even feel about We tend to kind of keep it up here, but I'm asking a heart level, like, how do you feel about being a part of a church that drops this whole country club mentality that you've got to put on airs to come in, but but decides, no, we're going to be a place where healing happens, and it's going to happen because the only way you get admitted to a hospital is you say, I need help, I need healing, I need somebody who knows how to deal with this better than I do. So if that's the case, if this statement's true, if what I'm feeling in my heart it connects with you, my question is, what are the implications for a church to become that kind of place? And I want to start by talking about who Jesus is, because I think that has to be the root of everything we're about, is who is Jesus, who is God, what is he up to in the world, what is his mission, how do we join him in it? The story of Jesus is that Jesus is the great physician, Amen. Some of you have experienced that in physical ways. Some of you have experienced that in in spiritual ways. Some of you are still walking through trying to discover and believe that this morning. And here was Jesus' project. Jesus was the great physician, and he picked out 12 medical interns that were going to walk around with him on the earth for a three-year run at the hospital. The idea was that these 12 interns, these 12 disciples, would follow him, would get to know who he was, would hear his stories, and that one day they would pick up the practice once he was gone. And so when Pentecost comes, that's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes on these people that didn't look like they could be doctors at all, and all of a sudden, the Spirit works them in ways they would have never been able to work on their own. And and they begin a practice called the church where healing begins to come through to people. Are you with me so far? And in the book of Acts, you see these doctors healing the same people that Jesus did. In the book of Luke, you see Jesus healing people, raising people from the dead. You see him uh, making lame people walk. And when you flip over to the book of Acts, the action doesn't change. It's just different characters who were involved in that healing. Like the apostles do almost the same things that Jesus does. They heal people from the dead. They raise them. They, they, lame people are, are walking. People are being healed physically and they're being healed spiritually. And it's quite incredible, really, when you look at who these guys actually are. But Jesus told them, you're going to do greater things than me. This Holy Spirit, you might as well have me leave because it's going to get better once I'm gone and this Spirit comes to you. The problem is that there have always been religious people who don't want to be doctors. They don't want to heal people. And why? Because if you become a doctor, there's a risk that you're going to get sick because when you're a doctor, you hang around sick people. And and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law knew that this was a reality that could emerge. Uh, 
you can't heal people without getting in close enough people, uh, touch with people that it could be a risk to you. I'm amazed by doctors and nurses every day who walk into offices and walk into hospitals at risk to themselves to heal others. It's an incredible example. And if you don't believe that that's a risk, just talk to the spouse of a doctor or nurse who was at Presbyterian Dallas last fall when the Ebola crisis comes through. And we all run away from you know, ground zero there, but others are running toward it because this is what they've committed themselves to. You see, sick people put you at risk. And that's been a concern in religious circles from the very beginning. In fact, Jesus faced this concern. And if you have your Bibles, I want to open to a story in, in, in the second chapter of Mark. Mark chapter this is in the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. Uh, it's the story of Jesus, these four Gospels. But I want to I look at Mark, Mark chapter 2. And there's a story that probably a lot of you have heard before. It's a story about this guy who's a paralyzed man. And he finds out that Jesus is coming. Actually, his friends find out. And the friends decide, we're going to take our friend. We're going to carry him on a mat to Jesus. But here's the problem. They show up and the place is so packed they can't even get in the house. So they're like, what do we do? We've got, we, we, we feel a compulsion to get this guy to Jesus because if we get him to Jesus, then maybe he might be healed. So they climb up on the roof. Just imagine this scene this morning, right? All of a sudden you hear hammers going to it, right? They climb up on the roof and they dig a hole in the roof and they lower this mat with this paralyzed guy on it down to Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven and it's because of the faith of the friends. See, some of us may not be doctors, but maybe we can take people to the doctor's. Maybe we can bring the paralyzed people to the place of healing. See, in the house of God, if there is someone who needs healing, they are welcome in this place, no matter what their sickness is. We don't throw certain people out because their baggage is just too difficult for us to handle. Everyone is welcome here who wants help and to be saved from their baggage. Everyone. And and if that makes you squirm, you're not the first one who's felt that way. Most of us have walked through, I think, that that zone of, I don't know if, what is this going to mean for my kids if we're inviting people in? This is a haven for my kids. I don't want, but this is what you kind of walk into when you begin to become a hospital. So the story goes on in Mark 2, and I want to share with you, if you're, whatever you're feeling, I want you to kind of walk into the story with me with this idea of becoming a church that's a hospital for sinners. Mark 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Let me stop right there. So one of these medical interns, Jesus is calling in the scene. This guy named Levi, he's a tax collector. And if God's going to call one of the tax collectors to be one of his 12, then that ought to give us some relief, right? I mean, of all people to pick, he picks the tax collector. Uh, But pay close attention to verse 15. I want to read this one more time. Verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, pay attention to that last line. There were many who followed them. What is the many referring to? It comes from the phrase before. Many sinners and tax collectors. See, the people who are following Jesus around are actually the sick people. Business is good for Jesus. In fact, if you want a good business, get in a business for sick 
people, whether that's physical or spiritual, because there's money to be had there. I mean, like, business is good because there's always sickness. There's always pain. There's always difficulty. And so in this story, the who that are following Jesus are sick people. And I want to talk this morning about how churches generally tend to work that I've experienced in terms of discipleship, but a new model that I think we need to think about, okay? And, and the way I grew up, and, and many of you in some churches you've seen, the, the mode of discipleship was this. If you behave correctly, and if you believe correctly, in other words, if you, if you look like us and behave in ways that people respectable like us Behave and, and you believe all this list of things that Scripture clearly teaches that we can see. If you can do those two things, then you can belong. You work yourself through that process, and this is a church that will, man, we'll own you, we'll bring you in. You're just one of us. And, and to be honest, that has, that's a country club kind of church is what that is. Because country clubs, it's like you got to get your letters of recommendation, and then you got to prove from your income that you're going to be able to pay the dues every month. And if you can go through those hurdles, then you can belong, right? But if you look at the Gospels, this is not how Jesus did his ministry. For Jesus, this is the model that he went with. First, you can belong. And then, if you'll belong long enough with the right kinds of people like Jesus, and you walk with these people that are doing life, we just, we're going to trust God that you're going to come to a place of belief. And after you believe and experience the grace of God, that behavior and that obedience is going to be the obvious natural response to the grace that we've received. And I would submit to you, church, that this is the way of Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a hospital for sinners, is we don't start with expecting people to be a certain way. We don't clean the fish before we catch them, right? We let them belong. We let them find a place of community. And it may cause some tensions, and there may be questions about why would we allow those people in. But if you let them belong, do we trust God enough to do the work that only He can do? That if we give a place, if we give a space that if they journey with us enough as we're struggling through our journey, then maybe as beggars on a journey for bread that we can all move towards Christ-likeness. Are you with me? The people in the country club model don't exactly like the hospital model. And that's what Jesus comes up against in verse 16, Mark 2, 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, who goes to the hospital? Sick people go to the hospital. And you expect to do this ministry just with healthy people? No, no, no. This is about, that's why Cain was for the sick. Why Cain was for those who were unhealthy to find wholeness with them. And this is the kind of stuff that gets Jesus in trouble. In fact, this is eventually what ends up getting Jesus killed. Is those people can't accept the fact that these people might actually be involved and included in a community of faith. That's just too hard to accept. And so Jesus gains a reputation from this. In fact, there's a passage I just want to quickly flip to. It's in John uh, or Luke chapter seven, verse thirty-four. This is the reputation of Jesus that he's gaining. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. This is the red letters. This is Jesus' words. Son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, how do you get a reputation like that? You hang out with people who eat and drink too much. 
That's the only reason you get mistaken for that. This is guilt by association, right? You hang out with these kinds of people, and we teach our kids, you know, be careful who you hang out with. And I think for a season of our lives, that's a great thing. We, we come to faith, and there are seasons where we have to pull away from certain influences, but we never stay there. We have to engage again. These Christians, if we are not occasionally mistaken as sinners, we might be in a country club kind of church. And what I'm not suggesting is that, we, is that we engage in sin. I'm not saying in order to connect with people who are walking through difficulty, you go and sin with them. I had that suggestion one time as a young preacher. It was this other guy that was about my age. He said, uh, if you're going to be a good preacher, you need to go out and party so you can know what people are dealing with later on, right? Not exactly wisdom. So I'm not suggesting that you go and you, you go and sin to be able to connect with people, but I am suggesting that maybe you need to be in proximity to those who are struggling in order to be people who are walking through healing with people who need it. And we're the first ones that need to admit it starts with us. It's not participation in sin, it's proximity to sinners. Eventually Jesus' friendship with sinners and tax collectors, it gets him killed. And, And I'm aware that these are the kind of suggestions that can get a preacher in trouble, right? Not just Jesus, but me. But this is how churches need to work. Hospitals do not admit people to their places of healing if they can't admit that they have a need. The only reason you get admitted to a hospital is if you have a need and you say, I'm willing to get help, help me in this situation. This whole idea may be new to some of you because some of you were probably taught some really good Christian advice growing up. You know, we, as Christians, we don't drink, smoke, or chew or hang out with people who do, right? I mean, some of you grew up with that kind of thinking. But that version of Christianity doesn't seem to follow the model that Jesus shows us in the Gospels. And the fact that you're here this morning, I'm just trusting that that you want to be more like Jesus. How many people can say amen to that this morning? You you want to live more like Jesus. When people hear I'm a preacher, I just got to to tell you what happens. I'm nervous to tell people I'm a preacher. In fact, I've tried to always come up with like a a secondary like description so I don't have to tell them that because here's what happens when I'm at at a haircut place and I... Tell them, you know, what do you do? Oh, here it comes, right? I get one of three reactions. One is, uh, they try to convince me that they're a Christian so that I won't, like, invite them to church or who knows what they're worried about. Like, I just want you to know I'm part of this church family and I, I tithe 10%. And I'm like, I, you know, I, I never asked for this information. Like, we can have a normal conversation. As if I have some phone line to God and I'm like, by the way, the hair, haircut person is good. You go ahead and put them on the list, right? That's one. The second thing is I tell them that, and it just halts the conversation. Like, like, just awkward conversation the rest of the time. You try to figure out what to do going forward. The third thing happened one time when I was sitting in a haircut place. For some reason, that's the place this kind of happens, or an airplane. And the question came, what do you do? And, and this, is, this is the response I got. I had this dream the other night, and I was wondering if you could interpret it. And that was one... That was a crazy dream, I'll tell you. And I'll tell you, like, divinity degrees don't make you dream interpreters. Like, so it's not my deal. So these are the responses we have. And, and this isn't just preachers, right? When you tell people you're a Christian, like, there's a nervousness about that sometimes because you don't know what they're walking through, what their baggage is. You don't know well, how that's going to change the interaction. You really want them to get to know you and like you and then be surprised that you're a Christian, Right? So we don't enter in with that advice. And so rarely do I get hairstylists who, who, who say, hey, what, what do you do? And, and then that just, they're, they're so excited to find out what I do. Rarely do I sit on a plane and sit next to the guy next to me. And he's like, 
Oh, man, two hours, the best conversation of my life. Let's bring it, right? Occasionally that happens, but not often. Rarely do I end up going on the golf course and joining a, a group of three and being the, the, the fourth in the group. And on the third hole, you know, I tell them when they ask the question, what do you do? And they're like, oh, we've been waiting for this 15 holes with the preacher. No, what they do is they screen quickly past their minds exactly the words and curse words they said over the last three holes. <laughs> what did I say? What did I say? What did I say? And I just, I hate that. And, and you know what I'm talking about because it's not just preachers. It's just what people think of Christians. And what I love about Jesus is that lost people seem to be so attracted to Jesus. The problem is, and, and he's more comfortable with that term than we are. He calls them lost. But you know what lost people think about me? They're almost repulsed by me. I think you probably experienced something similar. So what, what can we do to change the perception of those who, who understand us in, as Christians? We don't need to hide that, but how do we change that? And, and I want to I suggest something to you today got a suggestion. I think it's time to stop defining people by their sins and start learning people's stories. And I think this would go a long way toward what we're wanting to be about. I mean, when I know someone's story, when I know their background, when I know the hurts that have happened in their life, no longer are they an issue to be dealt with. Now they are a person with a name and a story, and my compassion level just goes through the roof about whatever they're dealing with. How many of you have had this experience? You're driving along the road and you see that homeless person with the sign and, and they're asking for food or a job or they're asking for something. And, and your first response, I mean, if, if you're honest, is, is, is a place of judgment. You think about homelessness overall, you're not thinking about Joe on the side of the road. You're not thinking about Joe's story. You don't know Joe's story. But this changed for me when I was in Denver and there was, a, there was a couple in our church that left their jobs and they started this inner city ministry that was connected with our church. And it was a great ministry. It was a food bank, but it was more than that, trying to provide law help and medical help and really great ministry in so many ways. And I began to go down there. I, during the week, I would spend an hour at a time and I'd get to know people. And, and no longer were those people clients, which, boy, we've got to be careful with our language and what we say sometimes. Those people became friends. I got to know Steve. And I got to understand why every time he got a, a drink of alcohol, he couldn't stop because there was pain in his life that he began to unfold. And I realized this is why it's hard to hold down a job and this is why it's tough to kick this addiction. All of a sudden, Steve wasn't the guy on the side of the road. Steve was somebody I knew and I loved. I got to know Zach and I got to know Brian and I got to know uh, Dean, Hawaiian Dean, by the way, was how he went on the street. And, and I got to know these guys. And I'll tell you, when someone wants to to, to take issue with homelessness and they want to take a shot at the homeless in Denver... Man, I go to bat because those aren't homeless people. That's Steve you're talking about. That's Brian you're talking about. That's Jody you're talking about. Like, you don't get to do that because these are my friends. And it's so easy to see issues and see them as issues and be, 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 be so worked up about it. But when you get to know the stories of people and you begin to hear it, all of a sudden things change. So in 2006, I was a student at Abilene Christian University. And there was this uh, bus tour that came and a quality ride called Soul Force. It was this group of uh, students, some of them who were LGBTQ community, others that were walking beside them, uh, that were wanting to, to advocate for uh, the rights and, the, and, and seeking to, to work against the injustice they found in many of the Christian colleges. And they, they went on a lot of campuses that summer, and somehow ACU ended up on the list. So the question is, what do we do when, when these, I'll use the language of friends because they became that, what do we do when these friends come on campus? Do, do we receive them? Do we Make sure they don't come. They, they wanted civil dialogue and discourse. And so ACU decided, what would Jesus do? He'd talk to these people. He'd treat them 
with kindness. When their bus arrived on ACU's campus, we were the first campus on their tour that actually welcomed them onto campus. Others, I heard stories from them about how they'd been mistreated, arrested the minute they, they stepped foot on, on, on the campus. But, but AC decided we're going to do this differently. And you know what was the most incredible thing they shared when they walked and they told the story after? Is that the most incredible thing that we hadn't experienced before is when we got off the bus, we had people who greeted us with a water bottle, but more importantly, they greeted us with a name tag because they didn't want to know us as an issue or by the sin that we sin to talk about. They wanted to know our name, and when you get to know someone's name, you get to know their story, and it changes everything. Decades ago, Churches of Christ had a very clear stance when it came to divorce and remarriage. We knew where we stood because Jesus was clear where he stood. And all that changed. You know how that changed? It changed because elders began to have sons and daughters who were going through divorces. And it's easy to talk about things as an issue until your own son and your own daughter are walking through something. And no longer is it an issue And how worked up do you get when someone talks about your child as an object or an issue without a name? No, when you know the story, when you know the pain, when you know the hurt, when you know their name, it changes everything. And in Mark 2, the Pharisees see an issue. Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? You know what I think Jesus' response was? It's not in the text, but this is what I would guess he would say is, sinners and tax collectors, are you talking about Levi? And who are you to say that? Do you know Levi's story and how he ended up in the tax collector's booth? Don't you dare say that until you know Levi's story and his name. Are you talking about Jonathan? Are you talking about Susie and Debbie? Like, you don't get to just say these things about these people because these are my friends and I know their story and I know their name. These are more than objects. These are more than issues. These are people. Let me be clear this morning. Greenville Oaks desires to be a hospital. For sick people. Starting first by acknowledging that all of us are not the people trying to heal people who are sick. And we're well. We need to be healed as well. And we have people in this church who have been healed or in the process of being healed. And and God's doing great things and now they're going to help others in this process. But no one here can be defined by his or her disease, by his or her sin, This is the problem in cultures. We we define people by their sin, by being an issue, by being a number in the midst of a larger issue that the political scene wants to begin to talk about. But these are people with stories and names. And when you get to know people with stories and names, it changes the game, doesn't it? It's your own flesh and blood. It changes the game. So often I watch Facebook around current events that happen. The hardest thing to watch sometimes are the Christians who say the things they do knowing we just lost another opportunity to influence people through what was said when it was an issue and it wasn't about people. Or this happens in small groups. Anywhere we feel safe that everyone in our group doesn't struggle with this, we feel much safer to talk about those things. The problem is any issue you want to bring up today that you're worked up about it, and you may have good reasons to be worked up about those things. Any issue you want to talk about, my guess is someone in this church is struggling with it and has a name and has a story to go along with it. So when you comment on immigration, there are Mexican-Americans who are part 
of the body of Christ and part of this church family that that is a different conversation for, and they know stories and names of people, it's not as clear-cut for them. And when you begin to know their story and you begin to know their name, all of a sudden it's not an issue. It becomes about flesh and blood people in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not telling you you don't need to have a hard stance on this. You can believe what you want to believe, but when you come to be a part of the kingdom of God, when you come to be a part of a church family and all of its diversity, all of a sudden you begin to realize their stories and their names is not just people. When you comment on other political party, and, and you have to understand there are people in this church who aren't a part of your political party. With names and stories that are the reasons for that difference. When you comment on homosexuality, you have to understand that there are people in either first, second, or, or second service, the, the percentages are too obvious to know that that struggle of same-sex attraction is in this church. And, and when we make statements about that, not acknowledging there are people who are struggling with that, you know what it does? It drives them into hiding. We can continue to say, well, this isn't an issue, but how many families are touched by this right now? And yet, how do we talk about this in church? Because it's so fueled by the issue and not by the faces and the names. Or you fill in the blank on whatever the issue is. We can be as worked up as we want to be, but the issue, whatever it is, there are people here who are struggling and walking through this and just want you to hear their story, not see them as a number and an issue. Any issue out there, we're struggling with here. And here's the deal. Good hospitals admit anyone who wants help with their sickness or their disease. But there's another part of the hospital metaphor that I want to close with this morning. Good hospitals don't allow people to stay in the hospital bed forever. So good hospitals admit anyone who want help, but ultimately you can't stay in that hospital bed forever. A good hospital actually heals people and gets them out of the bed. And this can be difficult because some of you have been dealing with things for years and you're wondering, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of this bed. Some of you walked into this church years ago and you were wounded in a church experience. And what you found at Greenville Oaks was a place where you could come and you could heal and you could find a place without having to, to, to feel like everything was called on you in the moment. And then for seasons of our life, that's absolutely okay. That's the place we need to be. But eventually, part of what walks us out of our wounds is to serve others and to get outside of ourselves. Healing begins to happen as we begin to not focus on our own wounds, but begin to heal others out of the healing that God does for our wounds. And others of you, you're just walking into figuring out what your wounds are. And I'm not here to rush you through this process. It can take years for this to happen. But the goal of this church is not for you to just find a hospital bed and stay there forever. It is to help you experience the healing of the Holy Spirit the healing of a community of faith that walks beside you so that you can tell a story of victory. A story that is struggle day by day, and addictions continue to be that, but is somehow able to day by day find more days of abstinence, to find more days of healing, to find more days so that one day you're able to tell the person who comes in, you are welcome here. You know what I would love? I would love for anybody who walks in these doors to share their struggle with me, and I have five people I can send them to because I know the stories of this church so well. That's what happens when we share our stories is all of a sudden we begin to have resources that we didn't know we had to say, you need to talk to Johnny. Let me set up a lunch with you this week. I can't deal with that as well as Johnny can. But if I don't know Johnny's story, if I don't know what's happened, then we're, we're kind of helpless against the attacks of the evil one. I've been a part of churches that do a good job of accepting people, but rarely does anyone seem to find healing in those churches. 
Church, we are called to be a church that heals the sick. Spiritually, physically. And every sick person who walks in these doors is welcome here. If they want healing, if they're going to walk through the doors as hard as that is to walk through those doors, we want to be a place where they're welcome. Every single one of them. The problem is, it's so easy to say every single one of them, isn't it? The truth is, it's every one of us, isn't it? Because this is not about those people. This is about all of us who are on a journey, who deeply desire to be known, our story and our name, and not be seen as an issue. We want to be healed and want to help others heal. Amen? Let's be that church. Let's be that church. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for godly people who continue to let me share my struggles and hear my story instead of judging me just from the issues in my life. I I thank you for people who have been willing to hear it all and they've been willing to say, you're loved, you're welcomed, we're going to work through this. I'm not going to let you stay where you are. God, I pray in the days to come, even more than we've been in the past, even more than we've been in the past, God, that we can be a place where people know that this is a safe place to share your baggage. We've got stories of people like Gary who get to share this, and then we get to send people to Gary and say, go talk to Gary. Gary's found healing, and that's what this ministry, Celebrate Recovery, is, God, a way to do that and to identify that, God. And So I pray that you would prompt our hearts to do that. God, and I pray right now in the midst of so much, so many issues that we tend to get worked up about, I pray that we'd see the people It's impossible to love a group of people. You can only love the person across the table from you. Let us start there. Help us to see people through their hurts and their hang-ups and their habits and their gifts and their abilities and their dreams. God, we love you and we thank you that you have not seen us as sinners alone. That you know us by name. That we're not identified by our struggle. We are identified that we are your child. God, we bask in that. We, 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 we're grateful for that. We get to call you dad, and you accept us as your sons and daughters. God, heal us. Restore us so that we might be a part of your rest, reconciliation of all things. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and all God's people who agree say, amen. We'll be standing now for our benediction.